Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones, and this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones, and welcome to the Star Wars podcast. <laughs> Come on, do Chewbacca. I see. I got no phlegm in my throat. I can't do it yeah. without the phlegm. You're much better in the winter. <laughs> oh, that was good. So, uh, Luke Skywalker. He's looking pretty good. Yeah, you know, I saw those pictures you were talking about. You know, with Luke. Luke Skywalker with a beard, and I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to think. Old, you know, like 40 years have gone by, man. In my mind, it was just yesterday. I hear you. How old is he? He's got to be like, he's got to be pushing 60, right? They all got to be, except for, uh, what's her name, the chick? (laughs) What was it? How old was she when she did it? Yeah, Carrie Fisher. What what was she, like 18, 19? She was young. So I think uh, I think they hooked her up with Trim Spa or something like that for her to come back and make her guest appearance. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny because I read a book um, about George Lucas and he was so stressed out during the filming of Star Wars. By the way, everyone, welcome to the church. (laughs) (laughs) If you're new to the podcast, this is what we do. Right. We just we talk and uh, and then we eventually say helpful things about church planning. But, um, we, you know, it, it, so I read this book and, you know, George Lucas, if, if you look at the pictures of him when he's young, he was kind of a Barney. He was kind of a nerd. And uh, of course, he wrote Star Wars, which now we think is cool. But that was really nerdy for back then. And they didn't take it serious the studio. And uh, his first sci fi movie didn't do too well. Um, THX eleven thirty eight one 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 three eight. Yeah, come on, come on. You got to know the numbers. That's how oh, you know, know you're a true one, one, three, eight. dude. That number appears everywhere. It does. Star- if, you, 
if it, you know the Star Wars, you know, this is cell detention block, you know, 1138 in Star Wars when in the trash compactor. I mean, it's all there. But anyways, a uh, little bit of trivia. Pete, we really could pull off a Star Wars podcast. I'm you sure. know, we might be able to, which was a recommendation by Jimbo Balaam, someone who lives and breathes Star Wars and sci-fi. Yeah, and, and we could we could actually, like, like we could make a cuss word. I mean, we don't cuss on our podcast, but, I mean, you know, we could, Jar Jar could be like a cuss word. I don't get that. I actually don't well, get Hoodoo, that. Hoodoo is actually the official Star Wars sanctioned cuss word. But anyways, going back to uh, the uh, Bantha Poodoo, to be correct. But uh, Jimbo Balaam's totally lost now. He has no clue where he's at. Yeah. He's totally disoriented by this conversation. But uh, anyway, so going back, you know, uh, he was not prepared or equipped to deal with a young Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, and Carrie Fisher because all they did was goof off and party. And so he would he would actually come on set and they'd be goofing around. And because he was an introvert and he, he didn't know how to wrangle him in, he'd sometimes start crying on the set. And they would um, kind of they would feel sorry for him, and then they'd start performing their lines again because they'd be reading this stuff like, you know, uh, uh, I am I am uh, Obi Wan Kenobi, you know, um, you know, no one's, you know, he was a uh, I fought with your father in the Clone Wars, and they're reading the script, going, "What is this? This is the goofiest stuff." And uh, one of the one of the funny. Well, keep in mind, things. without the soundtrack of Star Wars, it's a horrible movie. Like if they used <laughs> the original voice for Darth Vader instead of James Earl Jones, it was like. Oh, have you heard those clips? Absolutely. Where it's like yeah. some British dude or something. Like I mean, it's yeah awful. Oh, what was his name? Um, his last name I think is oh what what is his name? I can't remember. He actually. In Britain, it was funny because they call him the Green Cross Man. And so a, a crossing guard in for British school children, remember I was in Wales for, for 12 years, they call him the Green Cross Man. So they had these series of uh, uh, educational uh, commercials for little kids, just like we do in America about, hey, kids, you know, this is how you cross the street. So the Green Cross Man would hop in. Uh, Prowse, David Prowse, that was his name. And David Prowse would ha- hop out there. And he has a North Country... Uh, accent. So he's like, your father was a traitor. And, you know, just the way they, the British, you know, and a member of the Rebel Alliance, you know, just the way they talk, it just is not convincing as a Darth Vader. So, well, it's not because also, too, we've only known it with James Earl Jones, right? Like, that's how we yeah. knew it first. Yeah. And then thanks to YouTube, we got to hear all this other craziness. So you can imagine what they're thinking when they're reading the script. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I mean playing with the lightsaber. There's nothing there. I mean, yeah. I get it. I totally get it. Well, so like, and you know, George Lucas would get these calls like in the middle of the night, you know, because he's the director, he's the guy in charge, right? And he get these calls like, "Hey, uh, uh, you're doing that that star movie," and he's like, "Yeah." He get these calls in the middle of the night, and the, the the hotel owner's like, "You need to come down to the motel because." Uh, your crew are tearing up the place. And he come down there and like Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill, you know, would be climbed up the, the motel sign out front and they'd be like drinking beer, throwing the bottles down, smashing on cars in the parking lot. And so he'd have to come down and yell at him and, you know, cry some more. And it, it's just funny. Like there's so many funny things about that movie, you know, and, and, and how hard it was to make it. 
Um, so, did you hear how Steven Spielberg really got his start in Hollywood? No. See, I I can't. I read a, a biography, you know, because I was the film major, right? So, yeah, yeah. I read coolest one major on, ever, by the way, coolest major ever. Oh, I didn't have to actually do work, which is the whole reason I went what, into. What that. are you doing? Watching a movie? Exactly. Oh my gosh, dude! Oh, uh, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, I'm going to go catch these three movies. You know, homework. <laughs> I mean, but but what perfect. you told me yesterday was so funny. Uh, you quoted. Uh, <laughs> What did I quote? Want to touch the Chinese? <laughs> wait, wait, wait! You got to do the whole, the whole quote. Um, how did? It, gosh, now you got me all flustered. I can't remember how he did the whole thing, but he's like, "What? I can't, I can't do it right now." Yeah. Well, what, what was funny is you're like, dude. I seriously no exaggeration. I watched that movie a hundred, like it must have been a hundred times. Yeah, so. people right now are like, what is he talking about? Billy Madison is what we're talking no, about. Billy Madison, sorry. So so, anyways, going back, you were saying. So Steven Spielberg, one of the things that he did, because he grew up just making movies with this Super 8 camera. So he went to, I think it was Universal is where he did this at. He um, put on a suit and tie, grabbed a briefcase, and walked up to the gate and just waved at the guard. And so the guard assumed he worked there and let him in. And he did that every day for a year and a half before he got caught. And what he did was he found an office in one of the buildings that wasn't being used. He put his name on it. <laughs> and then he That's went. So awesome. Then he went to the uh, receptionist and he gave him his name and his extension and said, all right, you know, make sure all my calls get forwarded to me. <laughs> and it took a year and a half before they figured out he didn't actually work he there. work here. He's not on our payroll. <laughs> and so all he would do is he'd like show his Super 8 movies to anybody that'd be like walking by in the hallway. He'd be like, hey, come over here and check out this movie. That's awesome. That's, Man, now, that's, that's go- probably yes. similar to how many of our church planners actually got into ministry. Oh, ooh, nice, nice tie back in. I like that. What? Hey, man, I'm the guy that got into ministry through the back door for sure because uh, I was literally keeping the seat warm. For the youth pastor, I was in college and, you know, my pastor calls me up and says, hey, Dan's wife's sick. Can you uh, babysit the youth group for a little bit? I'm like, sure. You know, I, my, my pathway, I was I was in nursing school and uh, we're going to talk today about, you know, uh, ministering to people with mental health issues, um, the mentally ill. We, you know, it, it's funny because. People always, when I tell people I used to be a psychiatric nurse, people go, oh, you know, as I bet that was great preparation for the ministry. And it it is the most serious comment that people, it's fun to laugh about. Yeah, you know, but everybody, I realized then, man, everybody struggles with something. We're all jacked up. I remember telling people when I'd come out of there, like, so what's it like? What's it like? I'm like, man, we're all jacked up. Like, I feel like the blinders have been taken from my eyes. I'd see people. Uh, in in the the the, uh, the hospital that I had pastored, I never knew that they were struggling with anxiety or depression or on medications, and it's it's getting to a point now where I think people are beginning to realize, hey, we got to talk about this stuff. You know, we can't just pretend it doesn't exist in the church. Like you come to Jesus and everything's okay magically, and you never have problems again. Yeah, and um, I I think. 
because of the fact that, you know, mental illness isn't something usually you see physically. You know, you can tell when someone's got a broken arm or a broken leg, but a broken head, like, we don't get that. Like, we even understand heart disease, and we can accept that. But a chemical imbalance, oh, what's wrong with you? I mean, it's it's... I don't, you know, I don't even know what's really kind of pushed it into the forefront, except that, you know, you look back at how um, God has really used what we think are technologies. Like, I remember bringing this back to, to my film days. I, I went to Biola University, Christian University, as a film major, and I remember distinctly one of my professors saying, that he thought the entire reason that we have the ability to perceive still images that are given to us in rapid succession, you know, basically 24 of them a second, and we perceive it as movement. And he goes, I think God gave that to us so we could use this medium. Because if you mm-hmm. think about it, it's crazy, right? That's what a film is. It's still images yeah, in a fast enough succession that we see it as fluid movement. Yeah. And so what do we do as Christians, right? We, oh, okay, that's great. And then all of a sudden someone goes, oh, hey, look, we can make porn with this. And so then all of a sudden movies are evil and let's let's stay out of that. And it's like, well, God gave this to us, right? As a yeah. as an ability, as a technology. And then we abandon it. And it's kind of the same way in a lot of ways with the internet. I mean, the think about the power of the internet that we have this worldwide communication and you can pretty much get everything that's ever been done in the world, print wise, knowledge wise online. You can find it somewhere out there. Someone's uploaded it, scanned it, whatever. And it's like, I think because of this, the speed of being able to pass on this knowledge and discuss it, discuss it is kind of what's, you know, brought some of these these topics to the forefront for us to talk about, like mental illness. Yeah. Whereas when we didn't have that, I mean, it was like so isolated. You didn't know anybody else who had it. You just kind of had your own preconceived notions about it. And that was that. Most definitely. And I think, you know, that, yeah, like you said, you can go and you can Google things like, you know, uh, depression, anxiety, but you don't often get to hear it from, you know, you go to Wikipedia, but you don't often hear it from a Christian perspective or a ministerial perspective. And so part of, you know, what I liked about our last couple uh, talks on this, Pete kept saying, yeah, what do you do, though? How do you help somebody? Because I'm being very informative. And the first step is always to understand it. Um, we fear what we don't understand. And the church has not understood mental illness for a very long time. It's kind of like, uh, have you ever seen that um, that movie, Dr. Doolittle, uh, with Eddie Murphy? Yeah. And it uh, shows him when he's a little boy, and he's like he's like sniffing people's butts and stuff, and, you know, the animals are weirding him out. He's talking to the fish. And so they bring the preacher man over, and he's like, you know, devil, come out of that boy. You know, it's so stinking funny. It's the funniest scene of the whole movie is when they're trying to exercise him because he can talk to animals. But that's how we've treated mental illness is, you know, we've treated it like if you're depressed, you must A, not be spiritual enough or B, have a devil in you. And it's just not been helpful. And so people that are suffering tend to go within themselves. And our leaders also uh, from the pulpit 
aren't honest about uh, what they struggle with. I think you know we've we've got this closet uh, mentality where if if I'm suffering, I keep it secret because I don't want to be judged. I don't want someone to say I'm not seeking Jesus enough, or I got a devil in me, so I got to keep this you know kind of kind of hidden. Well, we know what happens when you keep stuff hidden; it gets worse, right? I mean, everything. If you got problems, you don't talk about them; they compound. If if you got addiction issues, you don't talk about them; they get worse. Um, you know that that's it. Just life teaches us this, but the church is often about two hundred steps behind the world on all of these things, and they shouldn't be, but we are. Yeah, you know, and what's also interesting is, I think it depends on what pockets you operate in, so to speak. Because yeah. the opposite can also be said. I mean, I don't know how many times I've heard people say, oh, you know, do you think that demon possession was just because um, they couldn't explain mental illness back mm. in the day? Good point. Yeah. So, I mean, because I've grown up more with that and hearing that from people than uh, the opposite of, oh, you just, you know, there's a devil in you. I- I've almost heard the opposite of, you know, there's no such thing as demons. It's all mental illness. And- yeah, isn't that funny? Isn't that funny? You know, you um, you come into contact as a, you know, I can honestly say, I worked in the psychiatric hospital for uh, almost a year uh, before I went to Wales um, after having been a minister. Um, obviously, I've dipped back into that field, you know, couple times but in different capacities but that was the time that I, I was on a lockdown unit and I can honestly I remember a pastor saying to me oh you know be interesting to see what happens when you uh, and he said it you know laughing he said just go down the hall and and sing yes Jesus loves me and watch them all go nuts you know watch them all manifest and that the anything uh, but that was true I mean that that was the opposite of what it was in there it was literally, I felt like I dealt with people that were truly ill. I have seen mental illness, people that, here's what it is. I've seen mentally ill people who might look like they are possessed, people with split personality disorder. And we'll save that for the next uh, podcast to talk about that and talk about the difference between, say, a schizophrenic, multiple personality disorder, and someone who's really possessed. And there are ways to tell the difference. But um, it was the opposite. I, I can honestly say I believe I encountered one person and only one person who was demonically possessed in the psychiatric hospital. Hmm. You know, I remember that line, too, from um, Walter Martin. We talked about it, I think, on the show. And I think that it was in one of the articles where some guy went with them to, you know, basically that type of hospital where the worst <laughs> of the worst were at. And he didn't believe that um, that there was such a thing as demons or God or anything, <laughs> and you know. And what was the line? He, he, they were like in an elevator or something, yeah. and one of them like the demon spoke, but the person's mouth didn't open or move. Yeah. And he just was like, "What was that?" And Doctor Walter Martin was, "What you say doesn't exist," or something Absolutely. like that. Yeah, yeah. He says that's what you don't believe in. Yeah. And, you know, it's uh, it's so funny because, you know, over over the years, I mean, you know, uh, I have I, I, I think I've, I've come to the conclusion where when you're dealing with people, you always assume it's men- mental illness because the brain is an amazing, a phenomenal uh, piece of kit that God gave us. So 
Um, it's capable of amazing things. Um, it, it, there are defense mechanisms wired in just like your body has physical defense mechanisms like inflammation, um, you know, uh, blood coagulation, uh, leukocytes, phagocytes, you know, white blood cells, all that. Your body has defense mechanisms and the brain is no different. All, all of your body has that. Your, your heart, you know, when you, your blood pressure goes up and down, your heart rate speeds up or slows. Those kinds of things are all defense mechanisms. And so your body has these things called negative feedback loops. And it's trying to bring the body back to what they call homeostasis or equilibrium, which means the state of normalcy. And so for the brain, like we talked about with anxiety and depression, your body and your brain is a, is a piece of tissue. Um, it's the command center. It runs off electricity, this and that. All that stuff, um, it, it actually, you know, it, 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 there's a process. There's an organic process. So, for example, when people do study on what's called the God helmet, where they try to figure out, well, religious people, what part of the brain stimulates uh, religious feelings? Um, and, and, and so they'll do experimentation. Well, obviously, if, if, if spiritual things are real and spiritual things enact upon us, we are a piece of tissue. So we have a soul, but we're also a piece of tissue. So we are going to have organic responses. So those tests prove absolutely nothing. Um, when a guy puts like electromagnetic currents through a brain and someone feels a presence or what have you, they try to say, well, no, all you're doing is stimulating the part of the brain that the original source, the spiritual source material would actually stimulate because we can only respond organically. But our soul is another issue. That's what cannot be measured. It cannot be proven or disproven. What I can say is that when somebody dies, they do weigh less. Um, you know, uh, when they're weight, they, they don't weigh the same. And it's as so like, am I going to be like fully ripped out and just a stud when I'm dead? Dude, absolutely. No, but you weigh less. I mean, it's, it's measurable. It's not a bunch, but the, the person is literally lighter after death. Um, some, some people say, oh, well, that's energy because energy has mass, you know? Um, but, but all these things, oh, look, without getting all geeked out and technical and, and, and getting all weird about it, but the, these are all things that, you know, I've just learned over the years. Number one, I always assume it's a mental illness unless something that is clearly demonic manifests. And I want to save that talk for when we're not dealing with depression and suicide. Uh, I want to talk about that the very last lecture. I want to go into, uh, I said lecture, didn't I? You did. I, I was like, wow, is, is this education time? Nice. Uh, yes, uh, it, my pupils. Um, see me after class, Mr. Mitchell. But uh, can't you know, tell you how many times I heard that growing up. <laughs> I bet you did. So here, here's the thing. <laughs> no, I can't say that. Huh? Kids don't do drugs and stay in school. <laughs> but I never went to class. <laughs> See, I, I was too afraid to cut class. I always went. I just got in trouble. Oh, man. I, I cut so much class in high school. And, I, you know, to, parents, if, if your teenagers listen to this, please turn off the podcast right now. I remember when I had to do that for uh, through the word. I remember, I too. about, like, bodily discharges in Leviticus. Children, if you're listening, please go get mom and dad. But, but here's the thing. There's a whole chapter in Leviticus on bodily discharge. Oh, there's many a chapter. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but anyways, um, yeah, no, I found out that, uh, the, the detention ladies loved Elvis, Popery, 
and Jamaica Blue Mountain Coffee. And I was good. So what? You just Let's just say every once in a while, a little half-pound bag slid across the table, and we were good. (laughs) That's hilarious. And anyway, so going back to uh, what we're saying, but, but, you know, then I assume that uh, when something demonically manifests, obviously it's demonic. There are times where demonic things masquerade as mental illness. That is so rare. Um, uh, sometimes I encounter people that are mentally ill and demonically possessed. That's not completely unheard of, but, um, but, but I want to just, I want people to just put the demonic idea aside and 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 look at yourself for a second and realize that when you see someone who and we'll talk about schizophrenia next time you see someone who's mentally ill don't assume there's demonic let that be the last thing look if i was in the busiest hospital in southern california for a year on the lockdown ward um, the critical stability unit trust me if i only saw one confirmed demonic possession you probably aren't going to see a bunch Okay, <laughs> so let's, I just don't want you screwing anybody up. So here's the deal. Let's talk about depression and suicide, because what we didn't get to was suicide. And of course, uh, Robin Williams just uh, this this last week uh, ended his life. Uh, that more details coming out that, you know, he had just been diagnosed with Parkinson's and, um, you know, he was he was sober at the time. But. But, you know, obviously, uh, he had been struggling with depression, and he took his life. But, uh, you know, suicide is, I mean, it's a sucky thing, man. I mean, I lost my best friend three years ago to suicide. When I came back from America, I was all excited. I was up north writing a book and uh, got the call. You know, it's how I ended up at Refuge Long Beach, ironically. It was on that funeral trip back down from Wright and Church Zero that uh, I ended up teaching ended up having the conversation with bill and the lord had said to me if he asks you again you're going to say yes but but you know this is something and, and i couldn't do his funeral you know i just i couldn't i couldn't do it and uh you know the the whole idea of suicide we as christians we we, we because we don't talk about depression there's nowhere that people can really go and so i just wanted for a second before we really delve into suicide and how you deal with it, how you recognize the signs, how you minister to people that are suicidal. Um, you know, I want to say that first off, if, if we're looking at people that get depressed, you know, Paul, Paul himself mentioned that, you know, he had despaired even of life itself. That doesn't mean he was suicidal. It means that he was in despair at times and that he didn't think he was going to make it and he had given up all hope. You know, remember he was in prison a lot, um, and that was it. And of course, the guy got—I mean, that guy took a lot of knocks. And so he would occasionally be down. He'd be alone. He'd say, "All have left me." And if you read between the lines, you can tell that Paul sometimes wasn't always a chipper fellow. Um, he wasn't always like, "Hey, buck up, little camper." You know, we'll take that hill, giving himself pep talks. There were times he was just sad, or he was mourning, or he's sorrowful. And uh, even Jesus himself was called a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. So when we try to portray this this deal that like spiritual people don't go through depression, we're not being biblical and we're not being real. And so some of our heroes, right? Like Martin Luther went through terrible bouts of depression. Um, so much so that uh, uh, there was a time where um, 
Katie Von Bora, who is Martin Luther's wife, um, took the, uh, the door off the hinge because he isolated himself in his room and locked everyone out and they'd be sliding plates of food under. And he would go through these kind of neuroses, you know, this, uh, you know, woes me. It's Martin Luther against the world. And, um, and, and one day she dressed up in all black and she went walking through the house and he said, oh, you know, good wife who's, who's died. And she said, uh, God, Martin, God is dead. And he goes, woman, don't, don't you dare blaspheme. You know, of course he's in this deep depression. She goes, well, I, I figured that God must surely be dead for you to have given up all hope and to be living like you're living right now. And um, so, you know, these are our heroes. Hmm. Um, Charles Spurgeon, he uh, went through terrible, of course, he had physical illnesses. Sometimes physical illnesses bring on depression. Um, he wanted to die at times. If you remember the story of uh, when they were in the, can't remember if it was, um, can't remember where it was. Was it Surrey Gardens? There was a place where they were meeting, and uh, somebody uh, yelled fire as a, a joke or trying to disrupt the service, and people panicked, and a balcony broke. And it crushed and killed, I believe it was like 13 people. Oh, my gosh. And, and injured a bunch more. And he was young. He was like in his 20s. And, you know, you can imagine being young. Of course, he has good theology, you know, but... You know, the paper raked him for it. They, they criticized the, the building, the meeting, the irresponsibility, these Christian fanatics. And on a personal level, he really struggled. I mean, in his darkest moments, Satan would come to him and tell him those people are dead because of you. And, um, you know, on a, a, you know, and so he would, he would regularly go through deep, deep depressions and he writes about it in, uh, lectures of my students. There's a chapter called The Minister's Fainting Fits. And he actually mentions that there's a spiritual dynamic for for a, a minister who's a target of the enemy specifically to be targeted with depression and despair. And um, and that's something worth noting. David Brainerd, I mean, the list goes on. Um, you know, I got to share something. I, I got to interrupt this, even though it's kind of off the subject, but you totally just know. made me think about it with uh, the balcony breaking and people dying. I was talking with my dad and they're up in San Francisco Bay area and someone up there was doing a baptism in the ocean. And one of the people got uh, pulled away in a, a rip current and died Oh my gosh. during the baptism. And it's almost like what in the world, you know, like the first thought that goes through your head is why would God do this? Exactly. That's, that's what went through Spurgeon's head. His theology was tight, but, mentally that plagued him why would god like i'm the servant of the lord i'm but you know here's the interesting thing though like because we're looking at it from our point of view yeah if you look at it from god's point of view it's almost like sweet dude i'm bringing this guy home to me (laughs) you know he's doing the baptism and i'm taking him to me right now but we're looking at it going yeah but this is this is the life this is the biz right you know right here this is cool and not from God's point of view. God's looking at the big picture going, that's nothing. Wait till you get here. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, they asked Robin Williams, you know, what, uh, you know, that guy, um, what's his name again? Um, 
the guy that uh, Will Ferrell just nails when he plays him. Um, <laughs> inside the actor's studio, what's that? James Lipton. Oh, yes, yes. If, if you have never seen Will Ferrell play James Lipton, you must go to YouTube and watch Will Ferrell portray him. It is so stinking funny. He actually interviews James Lipton or Lipton in, uh, in a mock-up of uh, Inside the Actor's Studio. But, um, but he, he always asks, James Lipton always asks people when he interviews them, if you go to heaven, um, if heaven's real, this is the question, if heaven's real, what would you like to hear God say to you? What an awesome question to begin with, right? I mean, I, that's my favorite question in the whole interview, obviously. But uh, people's response to that is always very interesting. And you often hear their defense mechanisms go up there. Um, but with Robin Williams, I liked his response. Um, he said, hey, there's room at the front. That's what you'd like to hear God say. <laughs> yeah. Still room at the front. And then he goes, uh, he starts hamming it up. Then I think that was his sincere answer. Um, it, I, I've read a couple things from some friends of mine who are connected with people that knew him. Um, and for all intents and purposes, he, uh, he was reading spiritual things through recovery. He had embraced, uh, Christianity, you know, uh, at least once, maybe I, I don't know any more than that, but I had a sense and I wrote an article for Christianity today, uh, went up on their, their, uh, website, um, about Robin Williams, but, and it'll you know, be in church planner magazine next month. So it will forget yeah, about Christianity today. today. Wait. Wait till you get the CPM version. It's much better <laughs> there. You, Graphics yeah. are better. Everything's better in CPM. They're crazy. They're crazy. I don't know what they're talking about over there. But uh, but anyways, the uh, you know his response was there's room at the front, and then he goes uh, he starts hamming up and saying uh, the concert will begin at five with uh, Mozart followed by Elvis and then a musician of your choosing. And he goes he looks at James and says you know above everything I just like to know that there's laughter there. And he goes, just to hear God say, two Jews walk into a bar. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, according to my theology though, right? God is way funnier than, than, uh, I mean, Robin Williams, the sense of humor that guy was able to bring out glorifies God because it's a human trait that God put in there. And I believe that God gave us laughter to relieve tension and pain. You know, I mean, a lot of the stuff that we're talking about here, you know, I mean, laughter. Yeah, you know, and that's so funny because I don't think we think of God as having a sense of humor. Oh, my gosh. You know what I'm saying? Oh, man, farts. Just explain farts, I get it. I get it. We've talked about that on the podcast. We know God has a sense of humor because he created farts, and it's funny universally. That's just proof right there. But we don't think of God that way, right? We just don't. We think of holy, reverent, you know. Yahweh dare not even speak his name God. Yeah. So we Whoa. we totally just take out there's no sense of humor. Yeah. And I think that's why most Christians have no sense of humor. <laughs> I really do. That's why they're making diamonds. Don't understand well, what in, that means. In a glorified body, we will uh we'll be able to laugh with God. I, I do think, you know, I love the idea that he's too overwhelming and too overpowering. But yeah, people kind of make it that he's stern. And I, I think they're, they've misinterpreted that God's holiness is the sum quality of all of his attributes, including his humor, his love, his wrath, his majesty. All those things put together make his glory and that we can't we can't handle it. 
you know? And yeah. Um, well, so, I mean, you know, you've brought up before that you can't have 12 guys hanging out, <laughs> living with each other and guys just not rip on each other. Like it, it's not even possible. <laughs> like, yeah. The nicknames that the 12 had, like that's the part that always, you know, Thomas called Didymus the twin, you know, Hey, he looks like Jesus. He's his twin, you know, um, you know, Thaddeus milk baby. That's, that's a nickname. It means child of the breast. So they're always calling him milk baby. That's just funny stuff. Jesus calls him bone energies, sons of thunder. Cause they want to call fire on people. Like that's hilarious stuff. Right. And, uh, that's guys just being guys. And, um, and I think that somehow Jesus was able, he did, he said funny stuff, you know, but, uh, but anyways, going back to this, um, you know, uh, yeah, man, I, I, I think, I think that God is, is way funnier. And, um, and so, you know, going back to suicide, right? Cause we, we got a bit off there, but people were like, man, how could, you know, he take his own life? You know, he was so funny. He was so this, and you never know the pain that people mask, right? Um, the people are in a lot of pain. A lot of people, are, you know, the thing that I always think about is so many people walk around and this is, this is just so heartbreaking, man. So many people were betrayed as children or, you know, it, it, it used to be one in three women have been sexually attacked or assaulted at some point in their life. It's up to two now, two out of three women are sexually assaulted. So it, that margin is getting narrow and narrower where people, you know, aren't sexually jacked up. And if you think about it, right? Like Satan he's going to gun for your sexuality because the sexuality, Paul says everything else is done outside the body. It's the only thing where Paul says, "Hey, this one's different." Because your self-awareness um is so connected to your sexuality. It's why say the homosexual community finds their identity and their sexuality. It's why when a man has a heart attack or can't get an erection, sorry kids, um, it's why uh, he suddenly goes out and buys a fast sports car or becomes, you know, really uh, uh, combative and wants to fight everybody because his psyche is so damaged uh, by this, you know, uh, chink in the armor of sexuality that, uh, you know, it, it, it's just trippy. So Satan guns for that. And so people are walking around with these horrible, like, wounds, man. I mean, the, the word psychology originally comes from uh, the psyche means soul, study of the soul. And so what we're talking about is is when you're talking about people's mental health, you're talking about the closest thing that affects their soul more than anything else. And uh, And we've just got people walking around masking the pain, trying to get through a normal day. And, and when you can't get through a normal day, like all of us are anxious, all of us might get down in the dumps, all of us might have thought about death, but that doesn't mean we're mentally ill. The definition of mental illness is that this condition becomes so debilitating that you can't get through a normal day. And one of the things that we didn't talk about in depression is it can get to the point where your brain slows down so bad um, that you don't eat, you can't get out of bed. Just the thought of brushing your teeth is overwhelming. And I've watched these people. They talk slow. They move like turtles. And they literally, so when you see severe, severe depression, um, and this can, this can happen with situational. This isn't just biological, but that everything shuts down and goes at a snail's pace. So it goes back to the question, what do you do with someone who's suicidal? What are yeah. the signs you look for? 
what do you what are the action steps you should take when you think they are um, a danger to themselves? Yeah. So um, the way that you know that people are suicidal is um, they talk about death a lot or they talk about wanting to end it. They make statements like, um, you know, hey, if I don't see you again or um, they, they're cryptic. They're mysterious. They say things. And you're like, what do, what do they mean by that? Or, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, I've, I'm causing so much problems in my family. My parents are fighting all the time. They'd be better off without me. You know, you'll, you'll hear things like that. And you're like, where'd that come from? You start, um, you know, they might take interest in like weapons, guns, knives, start asking questions about those things. They might start cutting on themselves. Um, they might talk always negatively about themselves. They might, um, one of the key things that people do is give away their possessions. Um, they'll say things like, Hey, uh, want, want you to have, you know, if something ever happens to me, I want you to have my comic books or I want you to have, you know, I'm, I'm saying this as like a teenager because, uh, most, most suicides happen during, you know, uh, with youth. Um, that's, that's the most tragic, thing about this is that um, during that time where the psyches form the identity, people are forming opinions and ideas about themselves and who they are, um, th- this is where the, the human being is very, very fragile. You know, you and, just, you, you actually just made me remember a uh, story. One of my cousins uh, attempted suicide when she was in high school. And I remember her talking about it afterwards because we didn't live close to my cousins. They lived, I don't know, 400 miles away from us, 300, maybe 300 miles away. So we didn't see them that often. And afterwards she was, she was talking, you know, that she had read uh, articles in the paper on suicide and she would like leave them open on the coffee table, like hoping that someone would see, you know, this article on suicide. That was her way of like, you know, crying out, yeah, but, uh, and, and they call that a cry for help. And and what a lot of people don't realize is they think, oh, this person's not really going to commit suicide. You know, they, they're just wanting attention. Well, it's really interesting the way that it works with suicide. That That's a bit of a myth because what happens is, you know, like she was probably serious. but Well, she um, was. She, we found out when she was in the hospital from an attempt. Yeah, because what they do is they're working up to it. And so there are cries for help because it's a huge, uh, step. Um, it, 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 what's heartbreaking is if there's, if there's a way to end it quickly, like a gun in the house or something like that, that there are people, including my best friend, had he not had a gun in his possession, he'd still be here today. Um, and, and unfortunately it, there's there's certain things that stop people is the degree of ease to do it. So if you can put a bullet in the chamber as opposed to hanging yourself, and I'm sorry, it's such a morbid, you know, gosh, you guys like I'm a psych nurse, you know, I've, I've, I've done some pretty horrific things uh, as a firefighter. And so for, you know, and as a, as an RN as well, they just, you know, I, I, forgive me if I talk about this stuff a little bit 
what people do is they work up to it. So you might have, on average, I think it used to be, I don't remember what it is anymore, it used to be, on average, three to four cries for help or three to four attempts. And what people do is sometimes they'll be like, well, they try to hang themselves or they try to do this, but they didn't do it very good. You know, um, they, they botched that up or what have you. And, and it might be that it's difficult. It's hard to kill yourself and you think, um, or B, they were half hearted. But I mean, if you're half hearted, if half of you really will go through with an attempt, um, like taking pills or cut, you know, uh, slitting your wrists or what have you. That's pretty deep. There, there's what we call, and th- this is something to look for when you're talking to somebody, um, is what's called uh, suicidal intent and suicidal ideation. And what we mean is suicide, like someone who's down and talks about suicide may just say there, there is a degree where someone might say, you know, I just sometimes think of ending it all, but they don't have intent. Like they're not planning on doing it. So intent is the first thing you're looking for. And number two, and this is when you have the conversation. So when somebody starts saying these things, the way you minister to them is you say, are you thinking of taking your life? That's that's the bold-faced question you have to ask. And then if they say, yes, I am, then the next thing you do, and the, guys, this is what you do in the psych hospital. I mean, this is, you know, we got people on 24-hour suicide watch. It means a one-to-one. Someone's always with them at all time. They can't go to the bathroom, literally can't be in the bathroom by themselves. Someone has to be standing over to the side in the bathroom. Like, uh, you know, I mean, I've, I've seen people run as fast as they can at bulletproof glass because we have bulletproof glass in the in the psychiatric hospital. And I've seen somebody run as fast as they can trying to smash their own brains in. Like, uh, that's intent, right? That's someone who really, I mean, you have to really, really want to kill yourself to do that. Um, and then ideation is the second thing we look for. Suicidal intent is the first. Suicidal ideation is the second. And what, hey, Pete, will you stop emailing me while we're doing this podcast? <laughs> that's called an automated <laughs> email, buddy. I just, I just got, I just got one of Pete's marketing emails. That was funny, because hey, every once in a while, Pete's like, "Hey, man, shut up. <laughs> we gotta wrap up now." So, uh, ideation is um, when the person has planned it. In other words, so your next question is, "Well, how would you do it?" So you ask him first, "Are you thinking to take your life?" Yes, I've thought about it. Well, how would you do it? Have you thought about? how you would do it. And if they say, yes, I'm going to go home on Tuesday. I'm waiting for my parents to go out like they do every night uh, on Tuesday night and go to the bridge club or whatever it is. And then I know where my father's gun is. I have a, I have the safe combination. Um, boom, boom, boom. And, and now do you, you think now they would actually ideation. tell it like that? I mean, do, do you think like someone would yes. actually spell yes. it out? Yes. Absolutely, because there may be a percentage of that person where they don't want to do it, and it is a cry for help, but if someone does not intervene, it is going to happen. Hmm. Um, There are people that will never tell because their intent is so strong that nobody will ever know. Um, Case in point, when I was 19 years old, um, my first friend uh, committed suicide, and he wasn't my best friend. But I can say for an entire summer, when I was 17, two years earlier, 
he had um, his name was Bill, and um, he had he he was what I would call like I I think we all have this we have fun buddies right like you got guys where you don't talk serious with them you don't but you just have loads of fun and of course growing up in Southern California we had a place near us called um, what was it uh, Wild Rivers it's kind of like Raging Waters you know. Waterloo, if you're into like Bill and Ted's focus journey up in San Dimas. We had one of those near our house. We went to that thing like every day or Disneyland. We had like year pass. So growing up in Southern California, if you had year passes all day, and they were cheap for residents back then, back in like the 80s, we were doing crazy stuff like every day. And so for literally every day of the summer, I hung out with this guy. And never, ever knew he was struggling. There was one person who knew, and that was his girlfriend. And he made her swear never to tell what he was going through. And just one day, you know, Andrew and I were, were dating. I'll never forget one of my roommates coming up with tears in his eyes and saying, dude, Bill's dead. He killed himself last night. And um, this is really graphic, but he was my friend. I went down, and I saw the place where he did it. They cleaned up his body. But I found pieces of him. And... It was, it was pretty traumatic for me. You know, at that point, I was 19. I was already in uh, nursing school. My second day in nursing school, I watched, you know, I did CPR. They, they thought it was a great idea to have a student jump in and learn CPR. The woman died. She's 39 years old. So I was dealing with a lot of crazy stuff. At like Wait, you tried years. to give someone CPR and they died? In a hospital setting, yeah. Um, where, you know, obviously they had been working on her for, you know, a few minutes and I had been CPR trained. So, um, for professionals there, they were administering, uh, I really hope if I need CPR, I get someone other than you. Oh, thanks man. Yeah, no, you know, I've, I've done it a number of times. Um, you know, it's there, there are people here. It's the mouth to mouth that I'm not looking for. No, 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 no. No, you. I've never done mouth-to-mouth CPR. I've only used what's called an ambu bag. Right. Uh, but, you know, the, the bottom line is, you know, he made her tell or he made her swear to secrecy. And, of course, after that happened, imagine the guilt that she felt. You know, she's a 18-year-old girl, and she's now has to deal with the fact that I was the only one. The family saying, you knew, you know, the father, the, the mother, they're bawling their eyes out. You knew, you knew. How long did you know? I knew for a year that he, you know, we're all going, you knew. You didn't say, you know what I mean? Like that, that's horrific. And the poor girl wasn't her fault. She was put in a difficult situation. She wasn't emotionally equipped to deal with it. Most teenagers make those kind of packs. And so here's what I want to say to you guys. If, if you're a minister, those are the two golden questions you need to ask. The warning signs, I've given you some of those. Um, but give them the questions again. So the first question is, are you thinking about killing yourself and you're looking for intent? If the answer is no, I just, I just wonder if people are, well, we've all wondered, right? It's George Bailey. It'd be better if I were never born, right? Like Job said that Job wasn't going to kill himself. So there's a difference between saying something. Like okay. That. And then what's the second question? Second question is, how do you think you would do it? And so what you're looking for there is a plan. You're looking for a suicidal ideation. And they might have elaborate plans. They might have stupid plans. You know, they might say, well, no, I haven't really thought about okay, it. Okay, but let's let's give them, because we're running out of time, so let's give them, you know, instructions here. If they say yes to the first question, and but they have no plan, oh, that's what, I'm get- what that's is what I'm the pastor's yeah. next step? What should they no, do? No, that's, that's what I'm getting to, is, is what's really important 
is if as a minister, somebody says to you, look, uh, I will tell you this. Can you keep a secret? Or if I tell you this, do you swear you're not going to tell anyone else? Listen, when somebody ever says that to you as a minister, watch out. Okay, this can apply to like you can never give that blanket promise and you have to be up up front and say, look, there is ministerial pastoral confidentiality on most things that you're going to share with me. And I offer people that. Look, if you tell me I'm not going to tell anyone, depending on what it is, if it involves the safety of yourself or anyone else, I cannot make that promise. And that's what I tell people. And so someone might say, okay, never mind then. Well, now I've got a problem. Because if somebody says, never mind then, then I press. Hold on a second. Whose safety's in danger? Yours or someone else? And you want to see a shepherd. You know, a shepherd gets a little bit feisty when sheep are in danger. That's your sheep. And so at that point, if if the, but that's the golden response. Well, I can only make the promise of pastoral confidentiality if it doesn't involve your safety or the safety of someone else. So if at that point um, they say, well, okay, um, yes, I want to kill myself, then you say, okay, we need to get you help. And you get them checked into psychiatric help. You, you don't mess around with it. You need to get them checked. And you tell them. You say, look, we need to get you some professional help. We need to take you to go see somebody. And boom, 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 boom. So, you know, you don't, if, and, and you let them, because you are legally accountable, number one. But also, imagine being in the position of that girl. Do you want to be the pastor who knew and kept it secret? Mm-hmm. And then the person's gone? Yep. Trust me, it will happen to you. And if, if you play the, if you play your cards wrong, it will happen. And when it comes out that you knew, same like we talked, um, our, our least favorite podcast ever was when we talked about pedophiles in the church. And, you know, it's the same thing. The reason I don't say, Oh, I can keep this totally secret is I've been in churches where someone confessed that they had slept with their own children. And the pastor kept that secret. That is. No, <laughs> no, that that like that needed to go immediately to the police. Yeah. And so what what I'm saying is you have to get the person help uh, and you have to tell them, no, we need to go get you help. And so, yeah, I mean, that that's that's kind of the deal right there. Yeah, I am. Um, you know, as I've mentioned in the past, I've had, you know, family members that have uh attempted suicide, one that's battled with depression their whole life. And um, I think I was, let's see, I was a freshman in high school. And I caught this uh, this person trying to kill themselves. Yeah. And, um, you know, whether it was a cry for help, I don't know. Um, I do remember, now that I think back on it, my cousin who had tried to uh, attempt suicide um, was actually at my house that same time. And uh, I I don't know if, you know, one influenced the other, you know, anything like that. But I remember what, 
what we had to do. I mean, I had to hold this person down for uh, probably like an hour or so until yeah. uh, help arrived at uh, where we were at. And we were then able to um, take uh, take this person to the hospital. And um, I physically was, was, you know, beaten and, and kicked um, the whole entire ride uh, to the hospital, just trying to restrain this person. And, yeah. um, and then finally, when we got to the hospital, someone ran inside and got the cops. <laughs> <laughs> the cops yeah. came out and handcuffed her, and uh, and that you know that actually uh, helped tremendously because this person was not going to hit a hit a cop. <laughs> yeah, I was absolutely. fair game. Cops weren't, and and then uh, this person was checked into the hospital and was in a hospital pretty much the next almost year, uh, yeah, in a couple of different hospitals. So. Yeah, absolutely. And and one of the things that people do is they'll say something like, I'm trying to remember the story. It happened not long ago. Somebody had, I'm trying to remember somebody, he was either someone I was coaching or it was, it was refuge. I can't remember, but there was basically somebody said, look, you know, I think I'm going to kill myself and hung up the phone. Is either with one of my leaders or one of the church planners that I that I coach long distance, and they're like, "What do I do? What do I do?" And I said, "You call the cops," because here's now you're you're like panicking. You go over there, there's no answer, blah blah blah. You don't, you know, and you're like, well, "Yeah, but they've done this before." I'm like, "Look, here's the thing. You do this, they will never. If if it is just and and this person, we haven't talked about personality disorders." But it was most likely a personality disorder. I, I do not believe the person was was long-term mental ill, had personal uh, personality disorders, which is not the same as a depressed person. But I said, look, a lot of times that's a uh, it can be an attention-seeking behavior. But you 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 can't be the judge of that. You've got to take the same action every time because if it is an attention-seeking uh, tactic. They know now that next time I do that, this pastor will call the cops and it will be because A, he loves me and B, he wants to make sure I'm safe. And you will never have to apologize for that. Well, and I think that's the thing that I think most church planners need to understand is that the cops are happy to respond to this. It's their job. You're not going to get in any trouble for calling up the cops and go, look, this is what just happened. I need some guidance here and let them make the decision. Okay. Yeah. You know what? We need to 5150 this person and stick them yeah, in they, for 72 hours. Yeah. yeah. They will do that. They will show up and make that decision. What you do is you call 911. They will send the cops out and then the cops will go. The cops will take them to the hospital. They go to the emergency room. They get assessed and they either get released because again, they, through those series of questions and, you know, they determine intent, ideation, you know, blah, blah, blah. Are you on treatment for anything? Are you taking your meds? They'll do all that stuff. And then if they need to go into a facility, um, then they'll send them to a facility. And you let them make that call. Like that's the beauty of it. All you've got to do is pick up the phone and explain and just say, look, this is what happened. 
and let them yeah. make the call. And trust me, you would rather do that than you try and take them to the hospital. As I know from personal experience, that way sucks. <laughs> Absolutely. And oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Don't ever try to take someone uh, to the hospital. Call, call someone. Transporting uh, someone who's either schizophrenic or, you know, bipolar or, you know, multiple personality, like you just don't do it. And someone who's suicidal, um, don't do it. You know, there's, they are what's called a flight risk in the hospital and they run away. <laughs> it's why they lock the doors yep. in psychiatric hospitals. Um, but yeah, you, you know, exactly. So if it is an attention, if it's a manipulation thing, cause a lot of people want all this attention given, then boom, you know, you, you, you've dealt with it. They know now next time I do it, it's just the cops are going to show up. And, and I would also, you know, throw out there as my little tidbit of, of insight from experiences that I've had. When when you do have someone that is, um, whether it's voluntary or involuntary, uh, placed in a hospital, placed in, in lockdown, um, they're not healthy environments. Like everyone that's going to be around them, aside from the doctors and nurses, are all on their own destructive path. So don't think just right. by sending them off to the hospital, they're going to come out fixed and, you know, no longer have depression or suicidal thoughts. In yeah. fact, yeah. It, it's it's not that easy because who are their new friends is their new community is a really jacked up dysfunctional community. Yeah. And, and they're going to need a pastor more than ever, you know. Um, and absolutely. You know, you hit you hit on the thing I'm going to say before we close is once this gets identified and someone really is depressed and suicidal, um, depressed people don't function that great spiritually, right? And what I mean by that is, you know how we said earlier where people are like, oh, you know, it's because you don't love Jesus enough. Let me tell you something. When you're depressed, you don't feel like you do anything enough, right? You don't have the strength to do a whole heck of a lot. And you do feel like a rotten Christian and you don't want to read your Bible and you don't want to pray and you don't go to the house. You don't go to church. And, and historically, what ministers have done is judge the people, put pressure on, tell them, well, you need to read your Bible, and you need to pray, and you need to go to church. All those things are true. Those things would all be very, very helpful. Isolating never helps people in depression. In fact, we, uh, in the psych hospital, we make people, A, take a shower, because you just feel better after a shower. It's just a known fact, right? Um, stimulates the blood. There's actually physiological reasons for it. We make them walk. Because that releases endorphins. I mean, there's all these physical things that help people to feel better when they're depressed. Um, but we also make them get around people, be in a group, even if they sit there. So there's a bunch of practical things that can be done. And so you have to understand, like what Pete said, is if someone in your church has this issue, the last thing that you want to do is just call the cops and forget about it. You actually need to be prepared to be their pastor now. Because these are the ones who need more than anything, less legalism, less tasks, less you pointing the finger telling them how they suck as a Christian. Because they're going to suck at everything when they're depressed. Um, just just doing anything. Brushing their teeth, they're going to suck at that. What I'm saying is you want to make sure that you're not putting more pressure on someone who's depressed and down. If they've come out of like a, a suicide treatment they're going to need a pastor. They're going to need you to be there for them. 
They're going to need you not to tell them how much they suck at reading the Bible, going to church, whatever. Because the fact is they suck at everything. They suck at brushing their teeth. They're going to suck at whatever they're doing. And what they really need to know is the gospel, the heart of the gospel. They need to know that Jesus loves them no matter what. They need to know that he accepts them. They need the grace, mercy, and compassion that we read about in the gospels with people who don't have it all together. And so rather than laying more burdens on their back, you need to take the burdens off. And, you know, maybe, I mean, I'm just, this is a stretcher, but maybe you're not preaching that kind of gospel and they have not heard that kind of gospel. My hope, and, and, and I would trust that you are preaching the gospel and that they're getting the good news, that Jesus accepts them, that God accepts them based on what Christ did, not on what or who they are or what they do. So that, you know, just a little challenge there, but you're for sure going to have to do that. You're going to have to go visit them. You're going to have to go spend time with them. And uh, I don't know, we, we cut out earlier. I don't know what point we did, but um, Job, man, his friends just sat next to him. And for three days, they didn't say anything. They were just there. They wouldn't let him isolate. And, uh, and, and you need to do that. You need to sit there. You need to be with them. And you need to love on them and just keep the same message coming through. Jesus accepts you. Out of all the stressors you have on your life that eventually led you to depression, don't let God be one of them. Yeah? So that's, that's it, man. I dig it. I dig it. Can we finally uh, put the uh, suicide topic to rest? We well, we only hit suicide today. We'll put depression down, and then uh, next week we will hit uh, the schizophrenic disorders. What do you do when someone stands up in the middle of your church and says, "I am Napoleon," and uh, or "I am Jesus Christ"? You know, have you have you had that happen? Not Napoleon, although that is the classic Bugs Bunny uh, delusion. If you ever watch Looney Tunes. Or someone someone stands up and says, "I am Napoleon." But I have lots of stories about schizophrenia, and lots of schizophrenic church stories, and uh, some good, some bad, some that uh, we can learn from. But uh, we're going to talk about that next week. Before we go, uh, want to remind you guys that JumpSchoolTraining.com, www.JumpSchoolTraining.com, registration is still open for that. It launches in September. It is the best church planners training uh, we offer. Um, it's interactive. Uh, people come and say, hey, I want to train with New Breed, but I'm stuck over here and I can't get to you and train hands on deck. How do I train? This is what we're launching for those of you that, you know, you're already stuck in. You're doing what you're doing. You can't come and intern with us. This is our way of doing it. And at the end of this time, uh, of training by the end of the year, you will understand how to train or how to plan a church. And if you continue on this, you'll understand how to train others too. So want to invite you to take a look at that. It's www.jumpschooltraining.com. And on a side note, if you're interested in taking church planner courses for college credit, um, the fall semester is launching. You can go to calvarychapeluniversity.com. You can sign up for that. There is a, a half-off sale right now. If you register by September 1st, you, there are two courses. One is Church Planning and the Book of Acts. The other one is New Testament Church Planning Networks. These are live classes. They're going to be taught on the ground, but they're also online. So there's online discussion. There's online curriculum. There's reading assignments. But you'll also get the video of each of the lectures. There's eight lectures, eight weeks for each course. 
and you get college credit. And you can, again, either call uh, the number of 954-453-9228, or you can register online at calvarychapeluniversity.com. If you want that discount, it'll give you up to, uh, I think it's $105 off each course. Your code that you register with is PJRC2014. Cool. Cool. <laughs> well, this has been the Church Planner Podcast reminding you if you want to reach the ones nobody's reaching, you need to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. And if you don't find yourself surrounded, you're in the wrong landing zone. Jump school! Hoorah! <laughs> <laughs>Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com.